Do you have more than one location? Or do you have many retailers selling your products in multiple locations? If you do, the best way to help customers find them is with the Bold Store Locator app. I have used it in several stores, and it always works. It's the original store locator app for Shopify. And whether you have 10 or 10,000 locations, this app can handle it, and it looks great in any store. Your customers can let the app detect their location, or simply enter their zip code, select a radius, and see the locations near them. They can even click and get turn-by-turn -turn directions. Plus, it offers filtering to make sorting through 10,000 locations even easier. And if you want to customize it, you can create custom pins, set priorities for ones to show at the top, maybe they're a preferred dealer, add custom text, hours, descriptions for each location, even custom fields. And of course, you could bulk import all of your locations with a CSV and export too if you need it. But probably my favorite feature is what they call heat map reporting. In the back end, you could see a heat map report of where everyone is searching for you. This is a great way to get insight into where people are looking for your products and where they want you to be. So if you have multiple locations, check out Bold Store Locator. As an unofficial Shopify podcast listener, Bold is offering you their Store Locator app free for two months. To get this special offer, go to kurtelster.com bold and you'll be able to install it from there. kurtelster.com bold. Additional support for the unofficial Shopify podcast comes from SEO Manager. You already know the benefits of SEO. The higher you rank in search, the more visitors you get, and more visitors means more sales, which means more money in your pocket. But how do you do it? That's where SEO Manager comes in. It helps Shopify store owners get found in search engines more easily, and it's trusted by thousands of store owners. No surprise there, it's equal parts power, innovation, and ease of use. Think of SEO Manager as your optimization toolbox. Here's some examples. It can scan your site for issues, offer keyword suggestions, add structured data support, analyze missing pages and redirects, and even integrate with Kit, plus a ton more tools to help you be easily found in Google searches. Best of all, it's easy to get started. You can get started in minutes, and their friendly support team is always on standby if you need help. Seriously, I have met them, they are the best. And as a special offer to you, you can get 10% off SEO Manager forever when you sign up at seomanager.com slash unofficial. That's seomanager.com slash unofficial. Today on the Unofficial Shopify Podcast, we are talking to a gentleman who is a bigger cheerleader, champion, and authority for entrepreneurship than even myself. I am so impressed at how well my values align with this particular guest, and I am excited to share with you today Mr. Ryan Daniel Moran, a serial entrepreneur, author, speaker, investor, whose main focus is creating lifestyle freedom. All right, I like this and helping people create lasting businesses and invest the profits while enjoying a higher quality of life and working less. This is starting to sound very similar to my own mission in life for, for my business, and that's championing entrepreneurship. But in addition to operating, selling, and investing in multiple million-dollar e-commerce brands, Ryan, Mr. RDM, is best known for his work at Freedom Fastlane, where he leads the tribe and helps entrepreneurs develop their business plan, get results, and invest for passive income. Because he's driven by the belief that entrepreneurs solve problems and the world needs more empowered entrepreneurs. And now he's got a new thing to share with us. Capitalism.com is he's the founder of Capitalism.com and his mission is to empower the next generation of entrepreneurs to create jobs, pay taxes and contribute to the economy while uplifting their families and local communities. That's what we need more of right now. Uh, Ryan, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Kurt, I'm so pumped to be with you. We're going to have to update that remove the pay taxes part. I don't like that part of the whole experience. So if we could just remove the pay tax part, I think it's perfect. I would prefer not to pay taxes. But at the same time, I tell my, I go, it's my patriotic duty. I like having streets. So I keep doing it. In a, in a future life, you and I can have a podcast debating whether or not taxes are a patriotic duty. That might be a fun conversation for you and me. <laughs> I am so... I have strived to make the show apolitical. Oh my God, what have I opened up? 
<laughs> All right, as I'm long sure as we're the only controversial thing we talk about together, Kurt. Well, hold on. As long as we're on awkward topics and bad dinner conversation, I have this year recorded three episodes about alleged seventy-five million dollar Ponzi scheme, allegedly. The income store, the, the Ken, uh, Ken and Carrie Cartwright's business, the income store where people invested in internet businesses that was uh, raided by the SEC in uh, late December, I believe. And when I went online and I asked, I said, hey, you know, I asked my Facebook group, I asked in Twitter, I said, I'm interviewing uh, Ryan Daniel Moran in an upcoming episode. What questions do you want me to ask? And that's when a few people messaged me and go, hey, you talk about the income store a lot. He used to uh, promote or be involved with or have some kind of relationship publicly with the income store. So I can't not ask about it. What's the deal there? Yeah, sure. Well, I, I mean, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to respond. And my, my background is in e-commerce, like most of us. And I had my biggest win in 2016 or 17 when I built a company and sold it before selling com- e-commerce companies was was cool. So I had this eight-figure check show up from selling a business that I had built from, you know, taken from $600 to a, a $10 million run rate company. And I sold it and had a big win. And I had a relationship, like I, I knew of can through uh, like our network and and we knew each other personally. And so I was an investor and I invested pretty heavily in what they had done because when I knew them, they were running content sites and a a model that I really understood. Um, Then some things changed, obviously, but I really believed in the model that they had for, you know, around that time. And so they were also on my podcast. They were on my stage and as far as everything that has happened since, I mean, the the only thing that I, I'll really say is I got bamboozled too, a lot, and I have never felt more betrayed. Are we to be, are we hearing that that you lost money too? A lot, a Ooh. lot. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm I'm sorry. I mean that I can't imagine the how hard that would be. Uh, and at the same time, it's like, okay, if you had a relationship with him and you lost that money, there's betrayal on two levels, right? Correct. It, it's like fiscal and emotional. Correct. That's right. Yeah. Did, did you have a moment where you, you just went like, fuck, I feel so stupid. Like, did you, did you blame yourself? No, I didn't have a moment. I had moment after moment after moment after moment. So this and, was like a grieving process. Oh, for sure. I mean, now I, I, I'm the type that will... You know, there, there was there was actually there was a couple of weeks where I was really upset, like couldn't sleep at night, kind of upset. Oh, and, no. and 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 finally, I just it's very much like the pandemic. We're recording this right now during during quarantine. And it was it was very much like the, the sense of you're glued to the news about the thing you can't keep your attention off of. But eventually you have to just say. Does it even make sense for me to keep paying attention to this? Or do I just need to let the process flush out and put my attention on anything that feels reasonably better? And so my attention went to supporting my clients and creating a lot of content and being there for my family and making money in other ways and asking the question, okay, well, now that I have normalized losing a lot of money, is it really so bad if I lose everything? Because we all have that fear of what, what happens if it all goes away, right? What, happen, what happens if I have to go work at Walmart and move in with mom? And, uh, you know, when you, when one of your, when one of your biggest investments goes up in smoke, regardless of how it plays out, if it goes up in smoke, you have to deal with those thoughts. And so I just dealt with it as an opportunity of getting through that, of getting over that fear of what if it all goes away. And now I know it can all go away and I'm a smarter investor. I'm a smarter reader of people. I'm a better a better person on the other side of it. I know 10 years from now, I'll probably look back and say, man, I really learned a lot and grew a lot from that. And it sucks in the short term, but I kind of just cling to the fact of what will happen in the future. So that, that was how I navigated my way through that. Let's assume that this is a teaching experience. Mm -hmm. What changes do you make in your life as a result of this? How has it, how has it changed you going forward? Uh, um, (laughs) Oh, that's a, that's a deep question, Kurt. I mean, uh, moving forward, I, oh my goodness, 
always call references. Always, always, always call references. When you're hiring someone, when you're betting on someone, just always trust but verify. And I think that's, you know, that sounds obvious, but it, it isn't. It's important because when you, you meet someone and they seem likable, and I, I had lunch with Ken Courtright. I met him. He seemed very nice and pleasant. It's easy to feel guilty or bad, like, oh, I'm just being, just being paranoid and, and uh, distrustful of people if you check references. It's easy it, to talk yourself out of it, is my point. Yes, but it also puts you into an authority position if you are the type of person that shows you're willing to call references. Okay. It's, it's, I like that mindset like, shift. It It's, I'm the one with the money, I'm the hot girl at the dance, and I really like this conversation, I need to verify some things, can you bring me some references? Um, now, but, but you know, the, an even bigger lesson for me, like the thing that I actually, you know, in tears told a... Uh, somebody close to me, I was like, I think I finally got the lesson of the danger of pursuing short-term wins versus long-term wins. Uh-huh. I think I finally got the lesson of looking at how things are going to look in the very, very long term versus trying to make decisions that are going to be expedient in the short term. Looking Instead of looking at the next three months, let's look at the next three decades. And I've always had the experience that when I make the longer term decisions I can make, the better results I get even in the short term. And this was just kind of the final punch in the face of you should always look to the long term rather than what the immediate win is. Okay. Well, I like that. Yeah, we got to think longer term. And I like that mindset shift of uh, it puts you in an authority position to be the one who's willing to to check references, look into backgrounds. Very simple, expensive lessons for me, Kurt. <laughs> very expensive, very painful. Uh, any any closing and, and, thoughts? And I know, I know, I know a lot. Like a from. lot of people are are hurt by this, and it, I mean, like the the one thing I'll say is, me too. Like I I really I, I I lost a lot, and I feel really betrayed, and so I'm I'm just kind of in it with everyone else. Okay, all right. Well, we'll leave it there. I don't want to. We this now counts as like episode four about the income store, <laughs> and I'm sure as that case evolves, it'll come up again. Uh, but for now, I want to hear about some positive things. So let's talk about your approach to the pandemic. All right, <laughs> not quite positive, but you did say an interesting thing to me in the in the pre-interview about you know how you're approaching it, and you referenced a little bit in just now. Um, how are you? How are you dealing with? With the the pandemic, the ongoing pandemic, our bizarre new normal. Well, I'm not. I'm not dealing with it. What? Yeah, I'm not. I, I, there's, I I like to track the numbers. I like to see the trend of it. But no part of me is wrapped up in the overall chaos of the experience. I'm of no use in in that mode. I'm of absolutely no use to myself or to anyone else to put attention or focus on what might happen, what is happening, what could happen, because we don't know. So what is the point of speculating? What is the point of blaming? What is the point of putting any negative attention on it? I've simply removed my attention from any bad news, and I have only consumed good news. I have only consumed what I'm going to take from this and how I'm going to move forward. And some people have accused me of having my head in the sand. And I think it is equally having your head in the sand to be constantly consuming negative news about the pandemic and trying to make life decisions based on that. So I'm simply not giving any attention to the negativity of it. And I'm putting all my attention on the positive side of all of this. And there's a lot there if you decide to look for it. Well, tell me what the positive side is. What are you seeing that that should be making us feel cautiously optimistic? I'm getting in the best shape of my life. I'm spending so much time with my kids. I'm getting so much thinking done. I'm doing so much writing. I'm calmer than I think I've been in years. I'm sleeping eight hours a night. I am enjoying the clear schedule and not having meetings. These are these are all things that are wonderful or terrible, depending on how you look at them. I'm stuck at home. I can't go to the gym. I have nothing to eat. I 
am bored. These are all the negative side of it. The positive side is I have a clear schedule, which gives me lots of time to think. It, the positive side is, well, this is really forcing me to learn how to not be on my phone all of the time. But this is really an opportunity for me to practice presence and appreciation and having control over my own mindset. I, I'm, I, I think I'm probably 30% happier during this time. And I, I really caught why that is. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs are experiencing something similar where they're feeling less stressed than normal. And I've had, I've had conversations with entrepreneurs who are like, I feel bad that I don't feel more stressed. And here, here is my, my fast analysis of it. In the entrepreneurial world, especially the internet entrepreneurial world, where we are in constant communication with one another in the form of projection, we project what we are doing onto social media, and we then read other people's projections. We are in a constant mode of comparing ourselves to one another, a constant mode of seeing other people's wins and comparing them to how we feel on a moment-to-moment -moment basis. And what this ends up doing is putting us into a bit of a rabbit hole of making fast, short-term, again, decisions, of pursuing expedient results rather than meaningful results, of us chasing after the results that other people are projecting that they are creating for themselves. And all of a sudden, all that got turned off, and there was one piece of bad news that everyone is talking about. The result is, since I don't have, I don't have anything to compare myself to when it comes to the coronavirus, I now have no comparison left. I'm only left with the life that I have and the judgments that I make about my the life that I have. And that is a beautiful place for you to discover what you want and what drives you and what you want to do next and what you want your life to look like and where you, I mean, it is just a beautiful opportunity to do that type of exploration. And that's how I've taken it. And I, I'm, I'm enjoying it. And there are, there are lots of things that I will not go back to normal. I will not go back to doing once quarantine is over. That is quite the the powerful mindset shift. Mindset shift. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you like that? That's me, just I, like really pitch shifted, slowed down too. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Okay, actually, you, my wife is a, an eternal optimist, and I was really struggling with with uh, with the quarantine, with being at home, with mm -hmm. you know having if, what felt like all of our lives put on hold, and she was not struggling with it nearly the same way I was. And yet her business was far more impacted negatively uh, than my own. And I, she said, hey, it's all in how you look at it. She goes, how, she goes, you're, you're in your house with your loving family yeah. with a bunch of free time and you can still work from home and your business continues. How yes. bad could that possibly be? And yes. when she said that, I went, oh shit, she's right. And rapidly the more i thought about it you know over the course of the next week i really started doing significantly better like i yes. was having just a lot of you know it's like a grieving process almost you know i was having a lot of anxiety and depression and losing sleep and it was because i was just non-stop consuming news and like we're actively worrying at my situation as though it were my full-time job and of course to your point like that's not in the slightest bit productive when you invest all of your energy into being terrified of your situation you're not going to get anywhere very quickly now are you that's right that's right it, it's it's absolutely paralyzing and so the only rational thing in my mind is to turn your attention away from that which is paralyzing and to look for that which is empowering, motivating, and inspiring. And you will find it if you look for it. And there are people who are so fixated on what they consider to be the problem that they can't, at least not immediately. They can't turn their attention away from it and towards something that's positive. And they would even say, you're unethical for turning your attention towards the positive. This has happened but, to me already. Yeah, me too. But you, you can't serve something like... Hell, my business is called capitalism.com. I don't think that you can help poor people by joining them. I don't think that you can help sad people by being one of them. I don't think you can help negativity by jumping into the pool of it. You only, you only create the change that you want by becoming it and leading the charge. And so I've just turned my attention away from the negativity and towards what it is that I want to focus on. I think, I think if everything else is taken away from this, I, I, I think this is a Viktor Frankl quote. Like man's 
ultimate freedom is the ability to choose his own focus, to create their own meaning, to turn their attention away from that which what they don't want towards what they do want. It's, a, it's like our, our basic human freedom. And it's the only way that we create the experience of life we want. I, I want to do some time traveling here. I, you know, ultimately, I, I want to know why and how you became an entrepreneur. And to do that, I think we need to go way back in time. Um, I have found uh, the art, old articles about you from uh, like Forbes.com. You're talking about successes you had like way back in, I think, 2013. You know, you're, you're a, a fairly young guy. We're, we're similar in age. We're both in our 30s. So take me back. What happened that, that you're now here as this, this internet authority? I tell the story in my book about when I was chatting with my father at age like five or six and hearing the the term a million dollars and asking about how much money a million dollars was. And my dad was a teacher and he he taught at both a local university and at the high school full time. And he said to me, he said, well, a million dollars is is like this. If I worked for my entire career, which is about 30 years, and I never spent a dime, I would make about a million dollars. I was like, what? Okay, so in order to be a millionaire, this term that I've heard, you would have to work your entire career and never spend any of it. And I don't know why, but that, like a piece of software code, got into my brain and and planted seeds and I just decided I was going to be rich. And it's funny. I, I, I now will go back to my childhood. There was never a doubt in my mind in my childhood that I was going to be successful. Now I didn't know what the term entrepreneur meant until I was like 12. I just knew that I was going to be successful. And so at, you know, at age nine, I discovered what a stock was. My mom put, my mom put me on this uh, subscription for this magazine called zillions. It was, uh, it was consumer reports for kids. I remember this. You, do you really? I do. You're the only person I have ever met who knows that reference. That's amazing. Starting at like age seven or eight, I started like just finding the the magazines in our library and reading them, like all the kids' magazines. And yeah, I remember, you know, it started with Boy's Life and ended with, with Zillions and then later like ultimately like car and driver type stuff. Yeah, I, I loved it. I mean, I, I loved Zillions magazine and there was one... I mean, there was like one article in there about this kid who had made $30 investing in stocks. And I remember going to my mom and I, I thought for sure she was going to tell me it's a scam. And, you know, like my, so I, I went to my mom and I was like, mom, I, I want to buy stocks. And she was like, uh, I think that's a really great idea for you. I was like, wait, what? My mom, my mom signs off on this. I'm like, you know, 11 um, maybe some warnings about stocks would have served me, or maybe some warnings about scams would have served me <laughs> later in life. Uh, but uh, I started like reading stock books and it, it, discovering what the Dow Jones Industrial Average was and stuff like that. And and I mean, you know how it is. You open up the floodgates and then you go on and on and on. I, I, I discovered e-commerce in college when I started doing affiliate marketing and search engine optimization. And I really made my first million doing SEO affiliate sales uh, and doing a few product launches. Never really liked it because it always felt kind of skeezy to me. It always just, it felt like selling air. And I mean, full disclosure, I have a continuity program. I do some mentoring. Like, I guess I still do sell some air, but the, the whole like, um, the whole like launch and burn model never really made sense to me. But I discovered that through being an internet marketer, if you took all of those skills and you put it into what I would call a real business, you can do a lot of damage real quick. And all my friends were uh, just after the short-term cash, going after the cash flow, going because they wanted freedom. They wanted just to have a life at their own choice, but they were really slaves to launching products or running the next ad. All this was before Facebook ads. And I discovered that a little bit of good marketing and good business prowess when applied to a real business, uh, you beat everyone else who's trying to get up there without it. And, and we see that in our industry now in e-commerce where you have the people who are trying to sell the the discounted thing or to 
to to sell widgets, and then you have the person who goes in and builds Stitch Fix or builds uh, a, a real company who's you know, who's building a real brand. Those are the businesses that are are built, scaled, and sold. And I think there is a little bit of a logical pro- progression that has to happen there. Once you realize that you can take a sale, then if you take that skill set and you start building a brand with it, you can have a multi million dollar business. You can have a business that can be scaled and sold. So uh, that was my trajectory. Built and sold a couple companies, and now I invest in companies. And Kurt, that's how I became an entrepreneur. So I heard a, a couple comparisons in there. There was like short term versus long term cash, and it's a uh, theme. I heard the, the phrase "real business" several times. What's a, what's the opposite of a real business? What's a fake business? <laughs> um, I, I mean, a, a fake business would be something that does not have a lasting product and a lasting customer base that wants you specifically. So. What, what, I, what I teach people to do in terms of e-commerce is you don't launch product number one until you know what products two, three, and maybe even four are. And the reason for that is if I can get someone to focus on the person, if I can get them to focus on the first buyer, if I can get them to focus on the, the person that is going to become the raving fan of the brand and the business then we're going to make a lot better decisions. It's easier to sell to an existing customer than it is to a new customer. The fake business, the the what I would consider not a real business, is the person who is only making money on the front end, who is driving a bunch of advertising or attention to just a front end transaction, and there is no customer experience or back end. And the reason that's not a real business is because you don't have the experience of a, of creating something that the customer wants again and again and again, or coming back to you for more and for more and for more. And I think that's the difference between a product-based business and a brand. A brand can have multiple products that last for years or decades, whereas a lot of people who are asking the question of just what product do I sell are chasing after a short-term win. And, and that's okay at the beginning of your career. But I know a lot of entrepreneurs who never make the pivot of going from the short-term win to building something that's really lasting. And when you focus on building something that's really lasting, then you can build a business that you can sell and invest terribly or well. I would, my only caution here is if someone heard that and goes, wait, that sounds an awful lot like my business. That's not, that's okay. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Everybody has to start somewhere and you are learning a whole series of valuable skills and experiences. And it's an easy pivot too. Yes. Hold up. This podcast is brought to you by Klaviyo, the growth marketing platform most recommended by myself and other business leaders. In uncertain times, supporting your community and growing relationships with your customers is a strategy that will be appreciated, remembered, and shared. In good times and bad, open and empathetic communication with your customers is critical. Email is and always will be one of the best channels for delivering those communications. Email marketing is one of Klaviyo's core offerings. When you leverage personalization driven by a 360-degree view of the customer, those emails will feel even more relevant, fostering stronger relationships than ever before. Klaviyo knows how challenging it is for each and every entrepreneur to get their business off the ground, let alone navigate such trying times. So if you're feeling overwhelmed with growing your business, especially in this climate, I promise you are not alone. Clavio is here to help brands build relationships across any distance, creating meaningful, memorable email marketing moments that last a lifetime. Visit Clavio.com to start a free trial. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com. Talk to him. What do you think? Well, you know, that sounded like a lot, like a lot of early, early Shopify stores or dropshipping focus stores where they're just chasing after well, you said the widget. It's like, all right, who's the first guy to find fidget spinners? That kind of thing. Yes. And when someone builds a business like that, it is not about a brand, a person, a story, an experience. So I call those vending machine right. businesses because they are based purely <laughs> on the transaction and the volume of people you can push through. And you said, like, there's sure. there's no focus on the experience or the back end. Define for me, um, or maybe give me some examples of like, well, actually, you know what? Let's do it as a thought exercise. I've got a dropshipping store. It sells like whatever the trendy widget is and it's successful in driving traffic conversions. That's all it does. Where, and you said, look, you got to do the pivot and the pivot's not as hard as you'd think. Okay. Well, walk me through that. What's that pivot look like? 
Sure. So you brought vending machines as the example, right? So you know it would be a not real business if you were in the vending machine business? Having one vending machine and then going to your computer and hitting refresh all day to see how many people pass the vending machine and optimizing for your conversion rates that more people buy snacks. A much better way to run that company would be to go find another place to put a vending machine, to go find what the demand is in the marketplace and decide if we're going to change up what we put into our vending machines to discover the next advertising source for our vending machines to see if we can make vending machines faster, cheaper, and better to ask our customers who are going to the vending machine what their experience was like and see if we could optimize for it. And as time goes on, we discover a better way to build the vending machine that is of higher profits and better service to the customer. And now we can go sell vending machines around the country and have a billion dollar business. That to me is having a real business. Whereas most people are just hitting refresh on their vending machine sales over and over and over again. So if you're in that position where you're taking sales on, on your Shopify store and you're kind of in that trap, you're probably focused on front-end acquisition rather than building a business. So my primary question to somebody who is going through that experience is, who is the customer and what do they want? And can we go out and go get a second product that we have more control over? Or can we go have an upsell that is a higher quality product than what we're selling right now? Is there a pivot that we can make in order to serve that person on their journey rather than just take sales for ourselves? It's, it's such a weird paradox of the world that when you are thinking about the money that you're going to make from your business, you end up making terrible decisions for the customer and you go out of business. But when you put all of your focus on what does the customer want and what does their experience what is their experience going to look like when they're engaging with me, you end up getting rich. And so if we can make that switch, and sometimes I'll just tell somebody, all right, you've got 10,000 buyers sitting on your, sitting in your, uh, in your Clavio account or your active campaign account. Let's send a survey to them and ask them what they want. And somebody will say, well, I don't want them to unsubscribe. You haven't emailed them in three months. <laughs> just send the damn email. And so the, the, the pivot is taking away from the front-end transaction experience and putting it towards discovering who the person and the customer is so that we can develop more products, more engaging ads, more valuable content that is going to serve them on their journey. And it requires you to pause for half a second on the distracting, refreshing of the vending machine to put your attention on building something that will ultimately serve someone other than yourself. And the weird paradox of that is if you do that, you become more successful. So I th what I'm hearing is the big mistake people are making is when they get to that and they get to their initial success, then they spend their time just micro focused on refreshing that Google Analytics dashboard, their Shopify Analytics dashboard and obsessing over like single momentary KPIs like page speed insights as opposed to the bigger yeah. picture and really largely the thing that will serve both parties, the customer and the merchant is focus on that relationship with the customer and develop that and serve the customer. And then profit comes from that. That's, that's correct. I, I disagree with zero of that. I'd phrase it just slightly different, and that is the trap is thinking, asking the question, what can I make from this? What's my profit going to be on this? That's the second question. The second question is, can I do this sustainably? Can I do this profitably? The first question is, who's the customer and what do they want? That's the first question. And everything opens up from there. Most people, I, I, I sometimes do a workshop at my home, and uh, I tell them, the, like business isn't hard. It is define who you're selling to and give them what they want. Like that, that is business 101. That's all it is. Most e-commerce people skip step one and they just start selling things and they wonder why they're stuck. You, it's really hard to scale selling things you are now dependent on other platforms. You are dependent on staying on the hamster wheel, coming up with new ads, new ways to do things. But it's really easy to scale people when you know who they are, especially right now. You can go acquire as many people as you want. There's 7 billion of us, and we have access to two-thirds of them via the internet. So getting more people 
is the easy part, but most people skip it and they go out and they just start selling things because they're not after, they're not really trying to build a real business. They're trying to fight for their freedom. And I so commend that. I just wish they knew that if they did it in order, they'd get freedom a lot faster. Refreshing, refreshing your vending machine account. That is not freedom. That is not fun. That, that is, that is just as much enslavement as working a full-time job. And you might even be working more when you're in that mode. So step one then should not be find the product. It should be build the list. Perhaps step one is asking the question who wants the product or who's the market. So the, the, some people will do this subconsciously. So if you take something like somebody who's really passionate about CrossFit and they go out and they create a new machine for CrossFitters, they have already answered the question, who is this for? It's for the CrossFit crowd. That, that, is, that is assumed because they developed it really for themselves. But most people who enter into the entrepreneurial game who are saying, I want to make money, start looking for the product to sell rather than looking for the market first. But if you decide on the market first, I want to sell to CrossFitters, then you can easily come up with the three to five products that that person is going to want to buy. They're going to buy gloves. They're going to buy chalk. They're going to buy a gym membership. They're going to buy protein bars. They're going to buy paleo foods. They're going to buy uh, pull-up straps. They're going to buy recovery tape. They're going to – I just listed seven, and I'm not even a CrossFitter. And so what that does is it gives us a very specific target for which to operate and to serve, for us to create the products that are going to serve that market. Now our advertising just got a lot easier. Our influencers and affiliates just got super clear. Our messaging just got way more targeted. The way that we know if our product is going to really succeed got a lot more narrow and a lot more clear. Whereas most people skip all of that. They skip the question of who this is for. And they look for trends. They look for profit margin. They look for sales volume. I work with a lot of Amazon sellers who are using tools to just look at the data of what the traffic is and what the sales are. And I go, this is the worst decision to build a business. You can make a product that sells, but you're not going to build a brand and a business that you can scale and sell because you're now looking at data that doesn't match the primary question, which is who is looking for this and what do they want? If you were to back up one step and ask that question and then say, it looks like they want this product, I would say, great, what's your second product going to be? And once they've got three of them, now we can go build a brand. So I want to know, number one, who's buying? I want to know why they're buying. I want to have something to sell them up front. And then I want, I need at least two more things that I could sell either as like a, a cross-sell or upsell, uh, a post-purchase sequence, um, or maybe a, a product launch you know, soon after. Is that right? Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I, I, I got my notoriety for saying one really, really simple thing that sounded super smart, and it was if you've got four products that sell twenty-five sales a day, that's a hundred sales, and at thirty bucks a sale, that's a one point one five-ish million dollar a year business. You now run, you now are a seven-figure entrepreneur. Now, what most people will do with that is say, "Great, let me find four products to sell." And I say, no, go find the person that wants to buy four products because then you only need 25 people a day. You don't need 100 of them. You need 25. And we can build really good systems to turn a small group of people into raving fans. We can do a lot to serve a small crowd of people to give them exactly what they want so that we now have four products that sell 25 sales a day. It's just faster, easier and simpler to focus on the who up front and then what they buy after you know their language and you're communicating with them becomes a very, very simple process. Do you have any, uh, do you have an example from your own experience or maybe, uh, you know, one you like from someone you worked with? Yeah. So, I mean, let's take an example that we're probably all familiar with. I, I'm sure a large percentage of us at least know who Gary Vaynerchuk is. Gary Vaynerchuk's primary business is the chairman of VaynerMedia, and his side hustle is his own personal audience. Now, he doesn't sell anything directly to his personal audience, but he does launch companies to his personal audience. We've seen that with the K-Swiss deal. We saw that with Empathy Wines. Uh, we've seen that with his uh, Wine Text Club. 
And so he launches businesses to that specific audience. He could not do that if he did not have people who were paying attention to him. Another example, and again, these are just famous examples to, to make the point, Kylie Jenner is the world's youngest female billionaire, not because of her TV show, not because she's a reality star, but because she has an engaged following and she knows exactly what they want and what they want to look like. And so she's able to develop beauty products that went from zero to a billion dollars in two years. That's now, pretty wild. We're talking it? about... It's crazy, right? This never happened before. Like this, These are completely unprecedented times. We overlook it like, yeah, of course, because it's Kylie Jenner. But do you realize this is a 22-year-old billionaire because – not because of any – like there's lots of Kardashians and Jenners. She's the only one that's a billionaire because she launched an e-commerce company to her existing following. Now, is, my lesson for this is not go become famous or build a following – it is to know who the customer is so that you can build a brand around that audience. Whether you partner with an audience, like one of my uh, one of my acquaintances is named Brian Lee. Brian Lee is the founder of Shoe Dazzle with Kim Kardashian. He founded The Honest Company with Jessica Alba, and he founded Legal Zoom with Robert Shapiro. Is that the famous yes. attorney? And then he founded Art of Art of Sport with uh, the late Kobe Bryant. His entire strategy is to go find the audience concentrated around one person. We would call that an influencer. I don't know that he calls it that. He usually calls it his partner. And then he goes and builds the product that that group wants. And that person talks about it as the PR face of the company and a business is started. That's how he launched LegalZoom. It's how he launched The Honest Company. It's how he launches all of his businesses. Super smart model. What does that look like for us on a micro level if we don't have $4 billion companies on our resume like Brian has? It's either three or four. If we're a bootstrapping starting entrepreneur, what does that mean for us? Well, it means that if we answer the question of who is the person and what is the journey that they're on, then it makes it really easy for us to go find micro-influencers or significant influencers or run targeted Facebook ads or find affiliates or go find blogs or find out what the buying journey of that person is so we have absolute clarity about what product number two, product number three, product number four is. Now, that is just a much simpler process to building a successful, scalable seven-figure business. Now, contrast that to the way that most entrepreneurs go into this, which is, it looks like all of the money is in fidget spinners. It looks like all the money is in CBD. Kurt, have you seen the numbers on CBD right. oil? They, they chase in. trends. They, they see a niche or they see like some case studies or some other people holding up their success. And then suddenly everybody else jumps into that. When They're chasing the product, they chase the product to product sell. As opposed to... Rather than the person that they are serving along their journey. Like I, I had a CBD client... And I was like, look, your biggest, the biggest thing that's holding you back right now is that you think you're a CBD company. You're not. If you were to simply make a switch to being a pain relief company and you didn't even give mention to the fact that there was CBD in your, in your products and you just went and made the best damn pain relief cream, the best damn pain relief, whatever, you'd, you'd kill it. Because you could speak exactly to their pain points rather than talking about this stupid idea of CBD oil that nobody cares about. They only care about the relief to their pain. It, yeah, the difference is and one solves a problem. The other is just a feature. It's like straight up, it's benefits versus feature. But when you're getting into yeah. solve the pain or problem they have, okay, now it has real value to that customer. It does. But the important thing is that you are focused on what the customer's problems and desires are and you build a business that is in operation to do that to address those problems to address those desires not just sell the next product and convince the person that they want it that's really hard it's hard for me to convince you to do something it's easy for me to see what you want or need and to go connect you to it or to create it i know i've got a customer in the latter scenario I'm fighting an upstream battle trying to convince you to buy my new thing. So if we know, like, the, the number one, what you perceive as one of the, the number one problems, and I agree with um, e-commerce and, and online entrepreneurs today, is they chase the product and the trend. And part of it's because of a, a democratization of access to both the data and the the manufacturers, the suppliers, the vendors. So, like, it, 
between the two, building an audience and finding the thing to sell, finding the thing to sell is much more accessible. It's much easier. So what would be, what's your advice for folks you know, just starting out, trying to find the audience, trying to, to build that, that list, that, that audience and that engagement? Cause I got to find that before I can get, figure out how to serve them. Yeah. You're probably already sitting on it. So if you're, if you're an entrepreneur, you're in this game probably because you want freedom, probably because you want life on your own terms, probably because you want to have an exciting, enjoyable life. And what most people will do is they'll say, okay, I'm going to put the enjoyment part on hold for like five years and I'm going to go build a business, make a whack ton of money, and then I will enjoy my life. And so their business actually becomes like the antithesis of their freedom rather than the thing that they are enjoying along their journey for freedom. So if we start with who's around me right now that I'd be excited to serve or what am I into that I'm genuinely fascinated by that I could build a brand around? My, my first business was a, was a fitness and workout company because I'm into that kind of thing. And then I bought capitalism.com because I'm kind of into that kind of thing. And so if you look at your interests where you spend time, attention, or money, we usually get a good snapshot of the type of people that you might like to serve because you're really serving yourself or it's someone close to you. So it, it's, if you've got young kids at home, we might be looking at new moms. And all of a sudden, when you become a parent, you start to see all this weird stuff in your house that didn't exist before <laughs> and that you had no idea was a thing. And all of a sudden, you start looking at other people's strollers going, where did you find that is a really cool stroller. And you see the sound machine and you're like, this sound machine is really good. And you start seeing all of these things that you didn't see yeah, before. I got opinions on sound machines now that I didn't have previously. <laughs> Do you? I'd love, I would love to hear. But the, the focus goes to, okay, I now around me see that there's an opportunity that I didn't see before. And I could get excited about serving that crowd. I could get excited about serving new dads who are navigating this crazy journey and are pretty much worthless for the first 18 months. We're basically gophers for the person that is, is doing all the heavy lifting. So I could get excited about serving young new fathers, or I could get excited about supporting new moms because it makes me feel useful to be able to develop something that would genuinely help my partner or the world at large or someone that I know. So if there's someone around you that you can focus on a journey that they are on or a journey that you are on, all of a sudden the path becomes a lot simpler and clearer because the best time to get a customer is when they're at the beginning of a new journey. They're starting a journey for weight loss. They're starting a journey for fitness. They're starting a journey to start a business. They're starting a journey to become a parent. They're starting a journey to conceive. They're starting a journey to date. They're starting a journey to start a podcast. These are all people who are beginning some sort of new journey and experience. And if you pay attention to the ones that you are on or have been on or the ones that people around you are on, all of a sudden you can watch their journey and start to develop products that they or you wish had existed at the beginning of the journey. And so I don't think it is about going and looking at the data for the market. I think that's a mistake, especially when you are first starting out. I think it is a much more energizing, exciting experience to look at the journeys that you're naturally motivated and excited about or looking for the people that you're excited to serve. And that's how you start getting ideas for that brand that you start. I love that idea. And I have I have subscribed to it myself for some time. There are people who are total mercenaries, and I respect them, who can just get excited about the process, and I'm going to build a business, and that's that. But it is, for mere mortals like myself, it is so much harder when you are not personally passionate about your your niche, your arena, whatever it may be. So, you know, if you can pick, like, a, a hobby or interest that you're really excited about— Life becomes much easier, both because you have a much better understanding of it, you have a personal insight into it, and you love it. Those three things really will uh, motivate and compel you to move forward, and they give you a leg up. You have an unfair advantage when you understand that hobby that other people don't. And maybe you already engage in the community and don't even think about it, like a Facebook group, a, a subreddit something or you know a blog mm -hmm. where you share it and you've already starting to build some authority in that space 
And certainly, hopefully, you have a network where you could talk to other people, maybe um, you know, friends or family that right. share it, and start going, "Hey, am I the only one who like thinks that you know this one particular thing is a pain, and the existing solutions aren't great, and maybe we could do it better?" I'm, I'm so glad you said that. Uh, there's, there's two things I want to respond to here. First, to this last point you just made, when you realize how few people you actually need to have a really successful business. And you probably already have the connections that you need in order to have all the happy clients and customers that could make you successful and free and happy. Man, life gets real good real fast because you're right. You probably are already in that Facebook group or that subreddit or that physical meetup or you know the people that know the people. If you can make a list of 10 people in your network that you know that you can call and they'll answer that are the avatar of the person that you're targeting and they post about your stuff on launch day, you will make sales. You will make money. And that's one of the things that I, I tell people to do is line up those 10 people who look like the person who would be excited about your business or your brand and get them to share about the product. I don't care if they've got a thousand followers or a thousand friends on Facebook. 10 of them is 10,000 people. It's a micro influencer. Great work. You just got your first free micro-influencer in the network that you've built over your lifetime. They're called your friends. That That is, if somebody gets that, we will radically change their life. However, the other thing I wanted to mention, you brought up the person who is the mercenary that just is good at selling things. There's lots of them. Hats off to them. I wish, I, I think when at like internet marketing meetups, when you go to the big conferences, those are the ones that we all wish we could be like, because they just sit there and talk about their Facebook ad conversion rate and how many sales they're making. And I got, I wish I could be more like that, but I'm like you, Kurt, I need to be excited about what I'm doing. Cause I'm in this game for an exciting life, not just to make sales, but to the person like there are people out there that just get excited about the growth of a business and they're agnostic to what the business is. And I wish I could be more like that. But to that person, I would say, if you are not following the process that Kurt and I are talking about on this podcast, where you've got the target market and you're scaling to the market rather than just selling more product, then you don't have a business that you can sell. You don't have a business that can be acquired by someone else and it be valuable to them. You've got a sales machine. You don't have a real business. So your job is to take whatever sales machine you've got and look at the who behind the purchases. Look at the who behind the transaction and get insanely curious about what that person wants more of or less of in their life and go develop the products and the services that will serve that person. And that's how you will have explosive growth. I like that. Man, that's... I don't think I'm going to ask any follow-up questions to that. I think we've really we we've did laid out a, a pretty good uh, strategy. Certainly, we're scratching the surface. And you know, the, more, the more I learn, and I've been, I've been doing this for a decade now, um, is that entrepreneurship in business is, is like an onion. You're, just, you're constantly pulling back layers. There is no end to it. Um, but I think that I really – I like your, your standard entrepreneurship operating procedure feels – can I throw? Can me. I throw a? Uh, can I throw a layer of your onion Please in do. you? At you? <laughs> Don't throw onions in me. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> so I completely agree with you that it's an onion, but you are the onion. Whoa! All right, mindset shift. Mindset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you are the onion, and the real process is peeling back that onion. And business is one of the layers, and it has its own layers, but. It's really peeling back you. I think that's it's one of those situations where, you know, you're laying awake at night and you think about like that embarrassing thing you did ten years ago and you realize <laughs> you should have those moments. You should be terrified if you never have those moments because it means you're not growing. It means you're not peeling back right. the onion. Um, yeah, embarrassment of your past self is a really good sign that you're that, growing. Yeah, that is a an indicator a painful but powerful indicator of growth. All right. So I have to ask you about your new book being released, it's called 12 Months yeah. to $1 Million, How to Pick a Winning Product, Build a Real Business, and Become a Seven-Figure Entrepreneur. Sounds familiar to our discussion. Good, sir. Uh, what? Uh, so tell me about this book. What? Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about it, Kurt. So 
I wrote the book 12 Months to 1 Million that is basically the playbook to do exactly what we've talked about, which is identify those four products, get them to 25 sales a day, and have a million-dollar business. It's a 12-month roadmap. It's broken up into three sections. Those sections are the grind. The grind is figuring out who your market is, figuring out how you're going to launch this, figuring out what those first products are going to be. The second stage, which is usually three to four months long, is the growth, which is getting those first pro- that first product to 25 sales a day. And running the marketing and the systems and the processes to be able to sustain 25 sales a day. That's what does your launch look like? What does your pricing strategy look like? And then the last three to four months are called the gold. It's where you repeat that process over four different products so you have a million-dollar business. And I teach it through the context of helping several hundred entrepreneurs go through this process, myself included, where I built a company starting with about $600 and took it to an eight-figure exit, which I document throughout the journey. So if you're the type of person who is ready to make this pivot that we're talking about of going from, I know what I'm selling, but I want a real business, or I'm a hustler who knows how to put up a Shopify store and run ads, or I am making sales actively, but I don't have a business that I can sell one day because I'm really just building a sales machine. And you want to build a real business and a real brand that can be scaled and sold with real customers and real profits and real growth, then this book will help you make that shift from that more hustler mindset to more of an owner mindset that is building something that matters and can be sold. I love it. The book's called 12 Months to 1 Million. This is, I'm going to read it. I have not I've not been reading much in quarantine. I think this is this is a missed opportunity for me because I used to rely so much on Audible in my commute, and I'm going to start reading it again. And I'm I'm going to pick up your book. It, it sounds genuinely good. I appreciate it. Thank you. I I enjoyed every minute of writing it. Some people like some some people. I I kind of in another life was a writer. And I just I love the process, and so my heart and soul is in it. And you'll can probably smell the blood on the pages. Oh, all right. With an endorsement like that, how could you not read it? <laughs> it smells like blood. Um, <laughs> blood and onions, personal onions. Uh, it's a final, All right, so yeah, blood. final closing thought. What is one thing you wish every every entrepreneur would do or everyone who listened to this episode would go do with their, their e-commerce businesses? Be easier on yourself. I, I really think that as entrepreneurs, we take so much on our shoulders and expect of ourselves to run with it and to go pound pavement and to beat ourselves into the ground. Most of that's an illusion. And it's also not what we wanted. Most of us got into this game because we wanted to be freely at choice. And some will hear that and say, yeah, well, I love to work. I love to build my business. That's awesome. But it's probably also not the life that you envisioned when you were a kid. We got into this as a route for something else. And so the the reason that's so important is if you let up on the ease of if you if you let up on the pressure that you put on yourselves to always be winning, to always be succeeding, you end up having a much more successful and profitable business. Because when you're in that pedal to the metal mentality 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, we end up doing the same thing that I did that we talked about at the beginning of this call, which is making short-term decisions instead of investing for long-term wins. And we don't do the necessary work of building teams or peeling back the layers of the onion or serving our customers. And if we can be easier on ourselves, especially on the short-term results that we're creating, we end up making much more beneficial decisions for our customers, for our families, and for ourselves as we build a business that we're really excited about. That's what we're in this game for. We didn't come into this game in order to be mimicking everyone else and copying their sales strategies. We got into this game because we wanted an exciting life that was that was full of freedom, full of fun, full of growth. And business is just one of those routes. So just be easier on yourself. That is genuinely good advice. I went to a a therapist for some time and one of the most powerful things she ever said to me was, Kurt, you're too hard on yourself. So if you want to save yourself quite a bit of money on therapy, (laughs) just take that away from this. I wish I wish more entrepreneurs were open about like I do therapy regularly I have for years I wish more entrepreneurs were open about the journey that goes on between our ears because most of us feel like we're fighting this battle alone it's what being an entrepreneur is we take a risk we succeed on our own merits and that's beautiful and then all of the 
chaos and noise that happens as a result of going through that process is something that we often struggle alone with. And I wish we were more open about that. So thank you for bringing that up, Kurt. I, that's, this is a great interview. All right, we, we can't do better than this. I'm going to leave it there. Go get Ryan's book, 12 Months to $1 Million. It is available today, May 5th. Godspeed. Best of luck. Ryan, thank you. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Big news from our friends at Out of the Sandbox this month. Their newest theme just launched. It's called Flux. And it's for those of us who loved all the bells and whistles in Turbo, but thought, I need more of this. That's where Flex is a game changer for you. It can be configured in an endless number of ways, thanks to more layout and section options than ever, more granular control of settings, and easy addition of custom CSS through the theme editor. It's perfect for development agencies like ourselves, as well as e-commerce entrepreneurs like you looking to create a unique online store experience for your customers. Now here's the coolest part. Flex has a new Demo Shop Import feature that allows you to fast-track your shop setup based on any of 12 demo shops. You get all of the theme settings, layouts, content, and sections used in that demo shop of your choice applied automatically to your store. You can check Flex out right now at outofthesandbox.com. And if you like it, take 20% off the purchase price when you use code PODCAST20 at checkout. That's outofthesandbox.com and code PODCAST20. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high-quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.